Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Any day now. Run! Run! What's up, 10 a.m.? How you guys doing? You made it to church in this 20 below outside. I'm so excited to be with you. Thank you for being here today. If you are new to ACF, we are just thrilled uh, that you're here with us this Sunday morning. You must love Jesus. You got out of bed and you came to church, and so, or you just really want to be here. So uh, we do have great coffee. That is a good reason to come to ACF. Um, man, I'm so glad to be with you. Lots of exciting things going on here um, around our church. Uh, you're going to see that there's a tank up here. I just want to let you know today is uh, part of our monthly rhythm, uh, which is it's baptism week. And so we just said that uh, every month we're going to offer an opportunity for you to get baptized. If you've never gone public with your faith, uh, we really believe, and the Bible says that your first step of obedience is to be baptized publicly, to tell people that you are a follower of Jesus. And so uh, if you're considering doing that um, at any point in the service, you can go out to the lobby and check in, and that'll happen uh, during the worship time at the end of the service. Uh, we're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to put a mic in your face. Uh, we just want to give you the chance to go public with uh, your faith. And so we're also celebrating Christmas. It was huge. We had a great opportunity to share Christ with our city. We had 2,414 people come through these doors, which is awesome. Let's thank God for that. So, uh, and, and you know, for us, uh, just to kind of give perspective on that, that's, that's 7% of our community uh, came through these doors and heard about Jesus, which is something to celebrate. Uh, it's something that we, we believe is just awesome. At the same time, uh, we would also say that means probably 90% of our community didn't go to church anywhere. Uh, most likely, uh, many of our friends and neighbors uh, didn't see a need to be in a church or to hear about uh, the meaning of Christmas. And so uh, for, for all of us, that's just both something to celebrate and a reminder that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And God has called us to be his light to the world. And in every empty seat, if you look around this room, there are some empty seats now because today we launched our third gathering on a Sunday. It's actually our fourth total per week gathering. Uh, we have a Wednesday and then we have three on Sundays. And so the goal is to continue reaching those in our community. And so every empty seat in this room represents your friends and your neighbors who don't yet know Jesus. So I want you to be praying, even thinking today, who is it that I can bring with me next week? Who can I invite uh, to church next week and, and invite to come here about Jesus? We are a church that is for the churched, the unchurched, and the dechurched. And so if you're here today and you're like, I'm not sure what I think about Jesus, then uh, we literally exist for you. We exist for people who are um, on the outskirts, for the skeptics and those who have doubts, because we all have some doubts that we're working through. And so I hope you feel safe 
uh, to work through that. Also, just a side note with Christmas, 31 people gave their lives to Jesus. Let's celebrate that today. That's awesome. Really big deal. I also, before we get going here, I know I've got a lot of announcements, but stick with me. I want to give you an update on our next step as a church. Uh, we really believe that as individuals, we have next steps, and as a community, we have next steps to take as well. And if you're new to our church, we've been on a journey of remodeling this building. Uh, this, this building was built by volunteers like 40-something years ago, and it was pretty run down a few years ago. And if you've been around, you've seen a, a huge change happen around this space. We first remodeled our kids' space downstairs, and it's awesome. Uh, I love what's going on down there every single week. And then this last year, we were able to redo this space, um, had a lot of earthquake damage anyway, and so we were able to redo all the, the, the sheetrock and um, all the HVAC and electrical in here. And so we have a third and final phase that we believe that God is calling us to as we move forward in our Acts 1-8 mission as a church. We think God is calling us from our Jerusalem, which is here in Eagle River, to our Judea, to our Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. And the first step as we move forward in the mission he's given us is to uh, finish out this space. And so uh, we've set a financial goal. The cost of finishing this space is $2.4 million. And uh, to date, we have, with both contributions and pledges, uh, we have $847,457.45, which is amazing. That is incredible. And if you're like, Brian, that's not even half. It's only been since September. Let's put that, ti that timeline up. Um, we started this in September. So that's incredible, by the way. Uh, you guys are killing it. Um, and, and so here's the deal. We set this out before you and said, uh, we'd love to get moving on this as soon as possible. We feel like God is calling us to some things beyond uh, finishing out this space. And so want to move on that. Um, but we want to put this out before you and see how quickly we can get moving on this goal. And so we put it out in September. We're doing updates every single month. And then in April, we will have a decision to make uh, based on the, the kind of the building schedule in Alaska. We have a short summer, uh, a short timeline to build in. Then we'll have to make a decision based on giving, whether we're going we're gonna to build or we're going to delay the project a year and move forward uh, possibly the spring of 2021. So that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, we have done incredible. Um, we've got a long ways to go as well to be able to move forward in April. Um, I've had a few people ask me, Brian, do you think we're going to make it? And my answer is this, um, it's not my call. It's just not my call. It's not my job to make that decision, but my calling is to place this before you guys and just say pray. Um, that's, that's really what we do as a church. We just, we have a vision, <clears throat> excuse me, as God calls us forward, we just pray and ask God, what are you asking me to do? And I fully believe that as you follow Jesus, we will fulfill his calling uh, in our lives. And so uh, that's what I'm placing before you. Pray about uh, how you're being a part. If God has given you the finances to uh, make this happen and move us forward, then I'd just love for you to consider uh, being part of our next step as a church. So um, grab a Bible, if you would. Open up to Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're going to be today. Um, or you can download the ACF Church app on your, on your phone. And you follow along with us there as well. We are starting a brand new series today called Pace Yourself. Pace Yourself. Uh, I still remember running my first 5K with my wife, uh, Amanda. She is a long-distance runner. She ran for the University of Alabama, uh, Roll Tide. And, uh, and so she is, is a runner at the core. So she invited me to run a 5K with her. Um, I'll be honest with you, it was also my last 5K. I've only run one of them in my life. Um, and I just remember on the, the race, during the race, she's running next to me, and I'm sweating, you know, and overheating, and she's just like, you know, not even thinking about it, because she's been accustomed to running like this. 
And she just kept saying the same thing, honey, you got to pace yourself, right? Because I want to beat her. That's my goal. I don't care about anybody else. But I want to beat my wife's time. And she's like, don't even, don't even think about it. Don't try. you got to pace yourself or you're literally not going to finish this thing. And what's interesting is, uh, as the Apostle Paul speaks about our journey with Jesus, he talks about it like a race. Like we're all in this race. And he actually encourages us to run the race as if to win, right? We want to win the race. We want to do the things God calls us to do. But here's my question for you today. Does your pace in the end help you win the race? Will the pace that you're running your life at ultimately help you to win the race? Because when he says run the, way, the race to, to win, he doesn't mean kill yourself and, and, and at halfway you're going to be giving up, right? You're not going to be able to do what I'm calling you to do. He says run the, waste, the race, the waste, run the race to win so that you can uh, actually accomplish the goals God has uh, put out before you. So the word pace comes from this Latin word that means stretch. It means st- it's, it's like our stride in a race. And, and we all have a certain stride in life, a certain pace in life. And if you've ever pulled a muscle before, what a pulled muscle is, is it's, it's an overstretched muscle. It's something that's been overworked and overstressed and not allowed to heal and be built up on its own. And what I want to propose to you as we start this journey together is that most of us are stretched way beyond our limits and we don't even realize it. Most of us are running out of pace. And, and, and I'll t- I want to tell you off the top here, I am not necessarily preaching this message from a place of great authority. I have struggled in this area in my life. I have a lot of dreams and visions and things that God has, I think, called me to and called our church to and our family to. And I haven't always been at a great pace And one of the questions I've been wrestling with for probably the last six months is, what would have to change for me to continue doing what I'm doing in the next 20 years? And I want you to think about that. Could you keep going at the pace that you're going, living the way that you're living here in 20 years? And if the answer is no, then it's time to assess your pace. It's time to get honest about your life and about what you're doing. I think most of us um, live... At, at too rapid of a pace. We're running at a pace that isn't going to sustain us and allow us to win the race God has called us to. I love this quote by Phil Anderson. He says this, If you live in North America, you are a prime candidate for slow death by overstimulation. I love that. Your environment is busy, depleting you with noise, distractions, and the compulsion to always be in a hurry. If I had set out to destroy my identity as a beloved child of God, I couldn't have done it better than living in America at the start of the 21st century. The greatest threats I've encountered are not the arguments of skeptics or the lure of drinks, drugs, or sex. The greatest threats are the constant busyness and frantic hurry that demand my allegiance. Come on, that'll preach, right? Just shut this thing right now. I mean, this is the world we live in. We are addicted to the hustle, right? I mean, just go after it. Keep on running, right? You know, go accomplish your dreams and, and, and kill yourself doing it. That's really what uh, is preached to us constantly. Frantic hurry, busyness. And, and I love that he acknowledges this idea of hurry and rushing through life may be the greatest threat to who God is calling you to be. It may not be some of the things you think it would be, certain addictions and struggles. It may be just the fact that we are going at such a pace we are unable to hear the voice of God. And part of what you're doing here, and I want to honor you for just showing up today, 
and coming through the cold and going to church. Because part of what you've committed to today is slowing down, even if it's just for 60 minutes. Is that you've said, I want to slow down at least for 60 minutes a week and hear the voice of God. And I want to stand in the presence of my creator. And what I've realized in my life is, is when I stand in the presence of my creator, I tend to slow down. I'm not in much of a rush to get out of there. And that's my hope for you today is that you'd see that there is a problem. Really, if I were to boil this whole message down into one thing, it's that we have a problem. We're going to talk over the next four weeks about how to fix the problem. I just hope to make you uncomfortable today. That's my goal. Um, I was thinking in my own life, what does this unhealthy pace look like? I think the very first sign that I'm running at a pace that isn't healthy is I begin to hate people, which I know as a pastor is not what you're supposed to say, uh, but sometimes I hate people. Come on, anybody else honest? You just hate people after Christmas. You got nothing left to give, and you just hate people. You got no space for patience or for that person that's driving in the left lane, and they should be in the right lane, right? I get it. I get it. What I start to see as well is uh, my dreams start slipping away. My goals aren't getting met, which is funny. You would think that if you're running at a nonstop pace that you're going to accomplish all this great stuff, but you do in the short term, but you don't in the long term, right? You get some stuff done in the short term, but you see that there's some long-term big game goals that aren't going to happen at the pace that you're running, so those start to slip away. Uh, one of the things I also see is financial issues start to come up and pop up because the pace that you're running has to be funded, right? If it's like, man, I'm going from this event to this event to this vacation to this thing I'm trying to accomplish, all of a sudden you're running at a pace that your finances can't sustain. And before you know it, you're not being generous. You're not giving. You're holding tight to your money, become greedy, right? Like, it's just, it's something that seeps in when we have a pace that's unhealthy in our lives. And I think at a baseline, what happens is we stop enjoying the people around us. We stop enjoying our families, especially. Because here's what I do, is I'm running a pace, and I'm running a certain race, and I, and I, I end up calling my family up to the pace that I'm at. And some of you are, are like me in that, you're, you're a father, or a friend, or a mother, and, and you've got these people in your life, and you're like, hey, come and run with me. And you're just calling them to this pace that's unhealthy, and they're back here going, you're killing us. It's literally killing us, and creating tension in your home. In Matthew 11, Jesus is speaking um, in the city of Capernaum, and he's speaking to people that, um, as we see in the text, need to hear this message. Um, he's speaking to a kind of people like us who would tend to turn to their own accomplishments as a means to find identity. And I think that we are all prone to this, that we turn to our own accomplishments as a means to find out who we are. And he says this, it's a beautiful call in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. A few words that stick out first as we read this first is the word yoke. This isn't a word that we throw around a whole lot. I don't know if anybody has said the word yoke in the past week, unless you're making eggs for breakfast. Um, that's not what's being said here. Uh, if you've ever been around a farm, you know that a yoke is a farming implement. 
Uh, my grandfather raised oxen, and I would help him yoke up the oxen. He'd take two oxen. It'd be this, this big piece of wood that would go across their shoulders with a bow that came up under their necks and a metal ring that hung in the middle, which you could attach implements to uh, for farming or for dragging things around or whatnot. A yoke is simply a tool used to put an animal into service. It takes this animal that's roaming around as it will and, and places it in something that will help it be put into service. And so in this teaching, we have Jesus who, uh, it's easy to forget, he is a first century Jewish rabbi. He's a teacher. And he is giving them a teaching. And, and for a Jewish rabbi, their yoke was literally their interpretation of God's law. It's kind of what I'm doing for you here today. I'm doing my best to read the Bible and say, uh, Eagle River, this is what it means for us. This is how we can apply this text to our lives today. And this is what a rabbi would do, is he'd take the text and he'd bring it to the people and say, here's how to implement this into your life. Here's to, how to apply it, how to, how to make this text work in your life. It's his yoke. And so the interesting thing about Jesus was not so much that he had a yoke. Many rabbis had yokes. What's so unique about Jesus is that he has an easy yoke. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And I wonder for you, as you think about hearing about the Word of God, as you think about coming to church, do you think of a light burden or a heavy burden? Now, many of you grew up in churches where uh, maybe you walked away and you were like, man, I feel heavier when I leave church than when I show up. Like, I feel like there's a heavier burden on me than when I showed up. It's the reason that I don't go very often. Or maybe when you read the scriptures, you're like, Brian, the reason I don't read my Bible is I always end up really depressed after I read it. Like I feel this burden, this heavy burden when I read it, so I don't want to read it anymore. And all of these things, I would say, is it, are, are a sign that we don't really understand what Jesus has to say for our lives. If we hang out with Jesus, we go to church, we read the scriptures, and we end up feeling heavy and burdened in a way that's crushing us, then we have missed the point of what Jesus has to say. Now, I, I hope that you leave convicted. That's my goal every week. Um, my goal is to make you uncomfortable. That is my goal. But I hope that you leave a little lighter with a little bit more hope as you leave church here today. See, I think that there's this crippling belief, this heavy yoke that humans around the world believe and that we're all guilty of believing. And it's simply this. Who you are is what you do. And this is the basis of religion, is that who you are is what you do. Religion says, God will love you if. Jesus will accept you if. Once you do A, you can get B. It's, it's, it's a transactional relationship, right? And so this, I believe, is killing us and causing us to run at a pace that is crushing our souls and crushing our families and causing us not to reach out and grab the dreams that God has placed in our hearts Anybody ever seen the old movie Chariots of Fire? Anybody want to date themselves in church here? I've seen it. You can admit it today. I love this quote from the movie. The runner, he says this. He says, I've got 10 seconds to justify my whole existence. Right? Just this short period of time. This is the race. I've got 10 seconds to justify my whole existence. Have you ever felt this way? Like, I've got to do something to earn my right to be on this earth. I feel like I need to do something and accomplish something to justify the fact that I simply exist. And so we do. We work 
to impress our friends, to impress our classmates, to impress our parents, just to, to impress ourselves, right? And so we get the grades, we get the job, we build the business, get the girl, get the guy, have the kids, buy the house, buy the car, go on vacation, put it all over Instagram, and we're still miserable, right? We've all been there before. We do all of these things, and it's no wonder that we're worn out and that we're bitter and that we don't want to wake up for church and that when I talk about serving, you kind of get squirmy in your seat. When we talk about generosity in the church, you're like, I don't want to do that. It's no wonder because it's turned into an expectation, You've lost the joy in the things God is calling you to because there's a belief system that isn't working in your mind. And it's this belief that I am what I do. It's a transaction. It's trying to earn it. Maybe you've been in a relationship like this before where you start off like really loving each other and being for each other. And over time, there began to be this tension where you started doing things not so much to show your love, but to prove your love. Because it was always in question, right? You always had to do something to prove your love to this person. Can I just tell you today, this is not how God works. Uh, if we had to prove our love for God, uh, we would fail at that every time. I, just, I want you to know that. We constantly fail at proving our love to God. We simply receive God's grace. And his grace is so beautiful that then we respond with a lifestyle of showing our love to God. I think some of us need to move from proving to simply showing, which looks like this. This is a different belief that Jesus gives us, and it's this. What you do comes from who you are. Paul says it this way. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He literally says, like, I don't live, but Christ lives inside of me, and now I am who he says I am, as the song says. I simply believe who he says I am. I am holy, I am righteous, I am just, I am I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great things in this world. I am loved beyond measure. I am worthy of, of, of God himself dying for. Like, that's who I am. And when we begin to believe who God says we are, it stops being a transaction and simply an expectation. We start to serve and love and go after our dreams for different reasons. And when you believe that, your pace will change. I promise you. When you believe that, you can sleep at night. You can slow down. Your brain can, can, can rest. The people around you can be human beings and they can fail and they can succeed. And it doesn't define you as a parent or as a person. I mean, all of a sudden, grace flows into your life when you believe that what you do comes from who you are. You allow Jesus to be the one that declares your identity. And it kind of looks like this. I love this photo. Would you put this up? How long are their tongues? I mean, it's incredible. Look at that thing. Today they'd be freezing off, wouldn't they? These are, uh, these are dog sled dogs. If you've ever been to the Iditarod start, um, it's awesome. I love seeing these dogs run. And uh, Pastor Josh, if you know him, he's a, he's a dog musher. And he was talking about how these dogs... When you hitch them to the sled, they freak out. Like they lose their minds. And they're barking. If you've ever been to the Iditarod start, it's almost deafening to hear these dogs. They're just mark, 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 mark. And it's not like, really? I got to tow the sled again, right? It's like, I was born for this, right? I was born to drag this hunk of wood behind me. And I'm going to love every step of the way, right? It's like they know who they are. Isn't that, isn't that funny? Like, it's like these animals just know what, they're, what they exist for. It's like they know why they 
why they breathe and why they're on this earth. They simply were created to, to pull this sled and they do it with a joy in their hearts. See, I think this is what it looks like to do great things for the kingdom of God from a secure identity in Christ. Is you just, you run and you run hard and sometimes you're tired out and you do great things, but you do it from an identity, not for an identity. You do it from the love of God, not for the love of God. So I want to ask you, when did you get handed a heavy yoke? Just think back, like when did you begin to believe that you are what you do? Was it your upbringing? Were you taught early in life that you got to earn your seat at the table? And the world's harsh, and so you better push your way to the top before somebody else does. Maybe your mom or dad was a workaholic, and so you learned that the way to life is really just to wake up and to work until you fall asleep again at whatever point, if you sleep. So you've just sort of put that on your own life. Or, or maybe it's just through relationships. You got, at an early age, you got shame for failure and admiration for winning. And at a very simple and basic level, you learned that this is where I get my identity from. It's from my performance. It's from what I do. Back to Matthew 11, he says this, are you tired? This is the message translation. I love it. He says, are you tired, worn out, and burned out on religion? Can I get an amen on that one? Anybody burned out on religion? I don't need any more religion in my life. He says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. And I love this line. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. See, instead of the crushing weight of a performance-based religion, Jesus wants to hand us an identity-based relationship. He wants us to know who we are and hand us his love. And he says, if you are worn out, if you're worn out on religion, come to Jesus. Which is a beautiful thing to hear, especially in the world today. Because many, many people are worn out on religion. They've been burned by church, burned by religion in some way or another. And so they've run from Jesus. But I promise you that the only pathway back to peace is with Jesus. So come to Jesus today. And I think you'll find more peace. I think you'll find more joy in your life. Like sustainable joy, not just kind of these sugar high types of joy that happen, you know, every time, you know, you get a present at Christmas or a good grade in a class or, you know, some kind of promotion at work, but like a sustainable joy. And, and this is, you know, as we look around at the people in our life, maybe you're, maybe you're thinking, well, Brian, people seem pretty happy. Like, I don't know if this is really that big of a problem. People seem happy. Uh, do you remember when uh, the news came out that uh, Robin Williams had taken his own life? Do you guys remember that? I used to be a big fan um, of all his movies. I still am. Uh, I remember growing up watching this man. And, and when I heard the news, there was a strange journey that I went on in my heart, which is funny that we do this um, with people that we have never even met before, right? But through what we know in, in, in movies and in, in interviews, we see a man on the outside who seems so joyful, right? Just to, just to be full of happiness and excitement. And, and in many ways you go, man, I wish I felt how he felt about life. Like, I wish I had the life that that guy has, right? 
And then you see something like this happen and you go, there was something crushing this man. Although outwardly he looked like he was full of joy, there was a lack of inward peace. Something was missing. And I I was reading an article and this author says this. He says, this leaves a lingering question among many others. If Robin Williams, who appeared to be the master of summoning joy, couldn't find some element of joy worth remaining alive for, what does that mean for all of us? What are we all striving for if the man who seemed to successfully live life on his own terms couldn't be satisfied enough to keep living? This is the hopelessness that we will find apart from Jesus, is this seeking after identity in our own accomplishments, in going after the next big thing, and we will never truly find it apart from Christ. I think we've been deceived into thinking that joy and peace can be found in independence, right? We found apart from Christ when really it's found in full dependence on Christ. I don't know if you've ever been hopeless before. I think most of us have felt pretty hopeless, but I really believe that true hopelessness isn't found in unrealized dreams, but it's often found in accomplishing them. It's found when you finally get the kids out of the house and you're like, this is what I've worked so hard for for so many years is to send these kids out well and they get out of the house and you're still there. And he's still there. And you got to figure this out. And it happens when you finally get to the top of the corporate ladder or you finally start the business and the business starts to succeed and, and you get these things and you accomplish these things and you're just like, man... I don't have the joy that I hoped I would have. This is, uh, if you've read much of the Bible, this is really King Solomon's story. In Ecclesiastes, he says this, Oh, how I prospered. I left all my predecessor, predecessors in Jerusalem far behind. Left them behind in the dust. I love this. Maybe you're like that. You're like, I'm at the top of my class. I get great grades, you know. Like, like, I'm always the one getting promoted. I'm doing really well at life. He says, what's more, I kept a clear head through it all. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse, held nothing back. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task. My reward to myself for a hard day's work. Then I took a good look at everything I'd done. Looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it. Nothing. See, what he's getting at is that he had believed a lie. He had lived by an operating system that said, who you are is what you do. And so what did he do? A lot. He lived an unsustainable pace, and at the end of his life looked back and said it was just smoke and spitting into the wind. It's a waste of time. And for you, your yoke, your belief system is what's running you. It's why you get out of bed in the morning. It's why you go where you go during the day. It's why you spend your money the way you spend your money. It's your belief system. Because we put all of these things, our time and energy and money and effort, into what we feel like has the most value in our lives. And so is it leading you to life or is it leading you to more hopelessness? See, I think we need to redefine success. What is success in life? What will you look back at and say, no, that was a life well lived? What is it that will really sustain itself and live on? I believe success is dying to our own achievements and living securely in Christ's. And this is the beautiful belief of all those who come to Jesus, is that we are no longer defined by what we've done, both good and bad, but we are defined by what Christ has done. 
Christ who is perfect and holy and good in all things, in all ways. And, and you might be like, Brian, I'm a Christian. I've heard that a thousand times. Do you? Do you believe that? I mean, could we sit down and, and take an audit of all of your life? And would your life say, I believe surely and securely that I am living in Christ's achievements and not my own? Because when you believe that, you'll be able to rest. You'll slow your pace down. And you'll start to notice the people in your life. And you might even begin to love them in ways that you couldn't before. So a few things, just three words that I want to bring out of this text. The first, Jesus says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? He says, come to me. My first word is come. Just, just come. When a rabbi would say, come to me, this is something he would, he would say often to indicate that he was going to say something true. Like, come to me. There's something true that I have to say about you and about our God and about this world. And the question I have about this word is, why don't more people come to Jesus? Why don't they? I think at a base level, they don't come to Jesus because we haven't told them about Jesus. If we look at our city, we look at, you know, 90% or about of our population that wasn't in a church on Christmas. The reason is they didn't come because somebody didn't invite them, right? Somebody hasn't told them. I mean, for some people, at a base level, that's why they don't come. On uh, Wednesday night, we were doing baptism, and I got done preaching. I walked towards the back of the room, and a gentleman grabbed my arm, and he's like, hey, can I talk to you? And we went out to the lobby, and he said, hey, uh, he's like, I've been here twice, and um, going through some really difficult things in my life. He's like, I just really need Jesus. And I'm like, do you, have you been around church for long? Or like, do you, what do you know about? Because I never know where people are beginning in this journey. And he's like, I've, I've been to church twice. And it's been here. And he just didn't know where to begin. And so I was like, well, this, what a beautiful opportunity. So I explained the gospel to him. And he's like, I want that. And I'm like, well, I was like, well great. And he's like, well, what do I do? And I was like, well, we should pray. And so we prayed together. And, and, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he's like, okay, now what? And I'm like, Will you get baptized? And he's like, today? And I was like, well, yeah, that's, we see in the Bible, people give their hearts to Jesus and then they just, they get baptized. They go public with it. And he's like, let me go check on my son. And I'm like, feel free, no pressure. And I'm fully expecting that he's going to stay down there. He comes back upstairs and he says, today's my day. I want to give everything to Jesus. And he got baptized. And so to some people, I think we forget sometimes, we just assume, oh, they don't want to hear it or they already know it. And I promise you, there are people that you pass by every day that just need to hear about Jesus. And that's all it's going to take. Because they are ready. Because the Spirit's at work in their lives. For you, what does it mean to come to Jesus? If you're a Christian, the first step is to simply be with him. Like, I am convinced that being with Jesus should always come before doing for Jesus. Like, you've got to start by being with him. And when you're with him, you will do for him for the right reasons. And so again, just come to Jesus if you're burned out. Be willing to ask him who he says you are. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. The next word is take. So as you come, there's something that you're to receive. He says, take my yoke upon you, my teaching upon you, which simply means like it's more than information. This is transformation and imitation. So it's not really helpful if you come to church and you hear all this stuff, you read the Bible, and you go away and you do nothing with it. 
It doesn't do anything. Jesus says, when you come, I want you to take my teaching upon you. Take it upon yourself. Take my yoke upon you. I think one of the reasons people don't take Christ's yoke upon themselves is because they think they can do it themselves. We don't need the help of Jesus when we are self-sufficient. In the third word, he says, learn from me. So learn. Learn is, so come, take, and learn. That's all Jesus is asking you to do. Come to me, receive from me, and then learn. And I love the word learn because there's room for all of us in the word learn, right? We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about spiritual disciplines or the practices of our faith. And I love the word practice because it, it implies that we have to practice, It implies that you're not going to do it right the first time, that you're going to blow it and you're going to mess it up and you're going to have to figure it out again and and things are going to be kind of rough and rocky at first, but you're going to figure it out as you practice. I love that in, in life with Jesus, in our journey of faith, there is room for failure. Amen? I mean, there's room for you to, to come and learn and journey with Christ. If you're waiting until you're perfect to come to Jesus, you will never come. If you're waiting to get your life fixed before you give your heart to Jesus or get baptized, you will never get baptized. But when you simply come, take, and learn, I want you to know that you can have peace at night. You can sleep well, and you can know who you are before you ever put your feet on the carpet in the morning, before you ever put something out on Facebook before anybody ever sees your grades or your accomplishments or before the paycheck ever comes in, you can know who you are. That's my heart for you today. So I want you to grab your action card. This was in your seat as you came in here today. And uh, this is something that we do as a church. And uh, it's simply a way for us to take a next step. So I want you to just grab a pen and indicate what your next step is and Drop this in the offering at the end of church and, and, and we're going to text you some encouragement this week on how to move forward in that, in that area. Maybe today it's just to give your heart to Jesus. Like to surrender to his grace. You've never maybe understood what it means to receive from God something that you didn't earn. And that is the, the essence of grace. And so maybe to receive grace today, maybe it's to surrender your definition of success to God's. Listen, success in your life is not accomplishing every one of your goals. It's surrendering to the lifelong journey of becoming who he says you are. That's success. And all the messiness of that. We've got some books. I actually think we just ran out in the last service. We didn't order enough of these things. So I think we sold like 150, 200 already. We're going to get some more next week. But you can go online and and order this book if you're just um, excited to read that. Um, it's, it's just a lot of the content that we're going to go through over the next few weeks is in that book. And so I'd encourage you to do that. And then we have an unhurry workbook that we want to send you. And so if you text your number, uh, text Devo to that number on the page there, we will send that to you uh, this week. And the last thing today, we do have a tank up here. Uh, if you've never been baptized, listen, today's your day. Would love to baptize you here this morning. Um, if you were baptized as an infant and you didn't make that decision on your own, today's your day. I know it's 20 below outside. We have hair dryers in the bathrooms. We have clothes for you in the lobby. We have everything you need. And the water is like, it's like 100 degrees. It's super warm. Anyway, if today's your day, I want to I encourage you to take that step. Be courageous. We've been praying for you. And so would you stand up? And uh, we're going to worship. And then if today's your day to get baptized, um, just come out to the lobby and we'll get you all set up.
God, thank you for your grace. Thanks for meeting us here. God, thank you so much that uh, we can have rest because we know who we are in Christ. <clears throat> God, we, we pray that um, we could slow down a little bit this week. <laughs> for those of us who have lost love for people in our lives, that we would begin to love them again. And God, that we would fully embrace who we are in Christ. Thank you so much that we don't have to earn our rightful place in your kingdom, God, but you just hand it to us freely. And so now we spend the rest of our lives responding to your deep and precious love for us. God, I pray for the person today that just can't receive from you, that that you'd open their hearts to receive you. God, I pray for those here today who have been so driven and just need to know who they are, that you would allow them to set a pace that will help them to win the race that you've called them to. We love you, God. We praise you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys.